This is Talkin' Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talkin' Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking Mule Deer. I'm Jody Stemmler. I'm here from the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo with our Mule Deer podcast. And I'm Steve Belinda, and our guest today is going to be Emmett Burroughs. You know, Emmett, you're the founder of the Mule Deer Foundation, is that correct? That's correct. Created the organization in Redding, California in 1988, actually June of 1988. So 30 years this year. 30-year 30, 30 anniversary. That's a big deal. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It is a big deal. How did it all get started? I mean, what was the impetus and what drove you to start the organization? Oh, uh, let's see. Probably best uh, put this way. Um, in the latter mid, or middle part of uh, 1980s, I was uh, producing uh, wildlife videos, uh, Burroughs Productions. And it was through uh, four years of interviewing state wildlife departments and, and, and their wildlife techs and management people and um, uh, state biologists in general that I realized uh, more um, of what I didn't know about mule deer and why deer were uh, declining across the West. And so as I began to... Um, run tape on mule deer and some scenes I would have 50 bucks in a herd and not see a three-point or a forked horn. Other times I would have all does and not see any bucks. So questions to state wildlife departments then was what has happened to the differences in um, vegetation and the differences in the population of mule deer that I I see in some areas and don't see in other areas. So the question, the answers to those questions led me to understand more about what we as human beings were doing to deer in general and their habitat in general. We, uh, that point in time, I think one time I stated that it appeared to me that we were uh, running them out of this valley across the next mountain and into the next valley and then we were we were, um, had highway kills, and our dogs would chase them here and there. We really didn't give them the recognition as a big game species that I thought we should. So I got to thinking, well, somebody needs to do something to help mule deer. And so I thought, well, we, we need to give back. So one uh, cold afternoon in a Aspen Basin in the high altitude of Nevada, I was sitting in an aspen thicket and watching uh, two bucks coming towards me. And I got so focused on thinking about what I would do to help those critters that uh, I, I missed both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a harvest. So, so uh, it was that, uh, that day that I realized that I really wanted to get committed to um, helping mule deer uh, any way I could, and what I could do at that point was give back, start an organization that would uh, that would have a commitment, long-term commitment to give back to Mule You know, Jody, I love these origin stories because it reminds me, you know, some of the best things start in someone's garage or, you know, and just uh, like you've said, you're sitting in an aspen grove and, you know, hey. The moment when inspiration is, yeah. strikes. Yes, that's yeah. true. So tell us about the early years. Was it easy? Was it hard? Was it all you by yourself? I mean, 
Well, uh, I, I created the Articles of Corporation and the mission of the Mule Deer Foundation. And are Red you from Redding? Because you said it yes. started in yeah. Redding. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, about 55 years in Redding, California. Okay. So, um, I, I kind of started everything. I didn't have a board yet. So, I'll tell you a little short story about creating a board of directors. <laughs> <laughs> We laugh because those of <laughs> us that work in the nonprofit world <laughs> we live understand with boards. boards. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was kind of naive. Let me put it that way. So uh, I thought that if I created an organization that, to help mule deer and black-tailed deer, uh, that everybody would jump on the bandwagon and have the same concerns about helping those animals that I did. That was not the case. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> That was not the case. <laughs> Did, was it because they just didn't understand that there was an issue at the time? Or the, so they needed somebody to bring that voice and that vision to them? Well, what we needed was hunters, right. the, con the first conservationists. We needed them to join up because that's where the money was. And nobody, th those uh, non-hunters, non-consumptive hunters, didn't want to help an organization that wanted to go out and hunt deer. That's still an issue today. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a big issue today. So, so it took a while, a year or so, to get our feet on the ground and, and get the foundation going and uh, let people know, you know, through marketing that we're here to give back to deer in whatever manner we can. And we need the public to step up, hunters and non-hunters alike, old and young, to help us generate the funds necessary to... Uh, take the organization into the next week. Well, and it's true. I mean, hunters it, from the 1930s with the Pitt and Robinson Act, when they taxed ourselves, but I mean, hunters have come back time and again because there's nobody more passionate about our natural resources or about our wildlife species than hunters and anglers, of course, but, you know, for, for a big game species, those are the people that will come back because the passion is there. That, that is so true. Um, so about the time I... Got, got involved in trying to create a board so we could make some decisions and begin to move forward. I called upon uh, several of my uh, hunting enthusiasts and, and uh, wildlife friends across the country that I had met when I was filming. Uh, some biologists, some just um, uh, people that understood mule deer in general. And we brought them all to Reading. Uh, I had an attorney in Reading there, and we sat at... at um, in a hall and there was 20 guys around a table and uh, we actually brought them all in at my at my expense i mean they they, they didn't want to come unless they knew what <laughs> somebody was paying for them right? <laughs> so, so we got them all there and um i asked them all i said we're here today to give back to mule deer and i said i look like a show of hands at, at how many of you have ever other than buying a tag and a license to support taxes through Pittman Robertson and the other avenues of support have ever give back to mule deer other than buying that tag and license. No hands. Huh. So I, I, you can imagine what's going to happen next. So I said, <laughs> I'd like for you all to open your wallet up and take out a $20 bill and put it in front of you on the table. And their eyes went from kind of squinty to really wide. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, I think they thought, well, here it comes. So uh, actually, it worked out pretty well. They all put $20 in front of them, and I said, well, now, here we are. We've all put $20 up to help mule deer 
black-tailed deer in their habitat on into the future, endless future. This is our first donation of giving back to mule deer. And that's, uh, in short, how the foundation got started. Oh, oh wow. So you got 100% giving on day one. We did. So we did. were you always set out to be uh, a banquet-based sort of uh, volunteer-driven organization? How did that come about? Yes. Uh, we... we um, we uh, determined through um, some statistical analysis, economic analysis, that the way to create uh, income for the foundation or from the public for the foundation was to have uh, banquet auctions. And then, of course, it grew from that to we need, a, we need a chapter chairman for that banquet auction. And then it grew from there to where we needed a state chair. And then we needed uh, all these other things involved in creating fundraisers. And um, so that's, that's basically how we kicked it off. And our <laughs> first banquet in Redding, California, I think, generated about $39,000 net. Wow. And so we felt pretty good about that. Yeah. And um, from there, we moved to another chapter and another chapter. And then we kind of slowed and fell back. And it's like any new uh, fledgling organization, you always have a little trouble when you're getting started until people really understand, are you here forever and are you doing what sure. you say you're going to do with that right. money? But and when you're coming out, did you see the passion, the, the connection light oh, up when the oh, people I, that, I mean, this I finally. I certainly did. They, they all looked at me and said, boy, how come someone hasn't stepped up to help deer in this country? And that makes, you know, made me feel... Um, blessed to be able to um, start an organization like that and then get this thing going so these people could all feel their way through the same as I did of giving back other than just taking hides, antlers and meats and venison and running them out of this valley into the next valley. Right. Uh, it all worked and so look where we're at today. Right. I am so proud of this organization. I can't tell you how proud I am of its volunteers and its team. This team has done has done wonderful over the years. We've had our ups and downs, and uh, I'll tell you, um, the tenacity and uh, the tenacious ability of the volunteers that we have never, never gave up. They well, just I mean, just look forward. at the expo. I mean, this thing is 12 years old. It grows every year. Exactly. You know, the excitement and the... Uh, the money that's generated here, you know, giving back to conservation, allowing the Mule Deer Foundation to go out there and be the leading advocate for Western deer, you know, uh, you know, is it, it's super exciting. It's something that, you know, as, as someone who works in this business, you know, and, and does this in other species that, you know, I really, I, I get a warm feeling about that. It's, yeah, it's just, I do too. You're, you're, you're exactly right. When, when, I, when, I, when we first created the foundation, you know, mule deer, the name mule deer wasn't really synonymous with anything. I mean, if you get outside of a hunter ring and get around a fire, mule deer. Well, what, what's, what's white a, tail has driven the industry for yeah, a very long time. It still does to a certain extent, but if you're a Western hunter, mule uh, deer's where it's at. Yeah, for sure. Well, I grew up in the East, and I can tell you, you know, you go to the, the sports shows, particularly the one in Harrisburg, and, you know, yeah, my father used to come out and, and hunt, you know, the, that dream of coming out and hunting mule deer. And elk, I gr ironically, I grew up back east as well, and my grandfather and, and his friends came out every year for to eastern Montana, and, and I the, we've got big mule deer bucks on his the farmhouse back in my where I grew up, 
um, that they hunted. Well, there I mean, you are. It's it's from the 80s. it's that it, it's it's that camaraderie of that hunt camp that you used to remember that that got me into thinking. Well, you know what? If we're going to have this into the future, we have to do something for our grandkids and our younger generation so they'll enjoy this, have the same opportunity to enjoy that we've had with these animals. It's just unbelievable that no one had stepped up to that time. Well, and, and mule deer are so emblematic of our Western landscape as well. I mean, it, it is the it is the sagebrush. It is it's the icon it is of the, the West. It's the icon of the West, and, and, and it is foundational to who we are now as Westerners and, and, and as big game hunters, and it, that... That, that goes to your core. Oh, it does. It does. Yeah, I, now I think mule deer, the name mule deer and, and what mule deer are about and black-tailed deer is pretty synonymous in a, in a family home. Now you can sit at the dinner table if, if they're involved in hunting or conservation and they understand uh, mule deer and black-tailed deer. Boy, you know, we've got this convention we want to go to in Salt Lake City. We, we've got to get going and get, make some plans. This is what it's all about, is making a recognition that deer need our help, and we're here to do that. We're the leading vessel that's going to take everything that we do here into the future to help these, these well, animals. Well, and unfortunately, a lot of the challenges that were being faced in the late 80s, mid to late 80s, they're not, they haven't changed a lot. I mean, we've done a lot. We know a lot more. Um, we're learning a lot, and we can, we can make some impacts for sure. But, well, but our deer are still There's got more competition out there for people's dollars Absolutely. and their time. Absolutely. And sure, to yes, see yes. MDF keep growing and, and getting bigger is, is, is great. And I can tell you, we're not just conserving mule deer. I work with, with the organization to work on grouse issues, sage grouse issues, and I'll tell you what, there's a huge overlap between the two. And when you're doing good things for mule deer, you're doing good things for grouse in a lot of senses. And a lot of other species. Absolutely. You get into that sagebrush biome. Is it 350 and 350 species? 350 plus species of plants yeah. and animals that depend on that. And we, you know, that's mule deer require that. So yeah, every water guzzler that we build in the high desert, uh, there, there's at least 150 species of animals that come there to drink or to survive because they didn't have that water last week. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. So what was your biggest challenge to get the Mule Deer Foundation from where you started to where it is today? After getting them to open the wallets and put $20 yeah. on the table. <laughs> <laughs> well, the challenge was probably about that big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the biggest challenge probably was getting uh, Mule Deer recognized as a species that we should be um, uh, taking care of and making sure that they're going to last and uh, going to be around into the future for our next generation. That's, that was the biggest challenge. And getting the, the, the economic um, fortitude, having the economic fortitude to do that and getting people to donate to that cause and join the foundation and then come to the chapter meetings, generating that money that we needed to make all that happen. Now, were you embraced by the state fish and game agencies and the federal agencies right oh, away? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure, yeah. One of the things we did in California is we created uh, uh, polymorphic probes for DNA. Once we did that... Tell us, what, explain that. I'm sorry, uh, deoxyribonucleic acid testing? Right. So... Um, I helped uh, the state of California Fish and Game. I helped them generate um, about $70,000 at one time and about $240,000 another time to help pay for polymorphic probes for deer typing. Mm. 
and testing, blood testing. So we can now place, well, once they, once they got this um, standard operating procedure down, they could send this information and did send this information to 48 other states to use in poaching cases so hmm. they could type and match blood samples and tie a location uh, and or meat in a freezer to a guy's blood in his truck. Sort of like a CSI oh, approach. Yeah. Exactly. To, yeah. oh, Fascinating. Yeah. So I was sitting in a restaurant uh, two years after we helped uh, generate those probes in California, and I heard two hunters talking. It was an opening morning of a hunt season. I heard them talking, and they were saying, boy, we got to be so careful because, you know, now they can uh, take a, if we drop a cigarette at a carcass, you know, they can type that and put us at that location. And I thought, oh, man, how many hundreds and even thousands of deer have we saved by creating a science, a technology that actually deters poaching? That wow. we'll never know. Yeah, wow, that's fast. All because of the foundation. Right. Well, absolutely. I am so glad that you had that epiphany in that aspen grove 30 years ago. <laughs> you know, those two deer are the luckiest that ever <laughs> walked because they they saved their, their, their brothers and sisters around the West. Oh, you're right. You're yeah, right. it's been an honor and a pleasure talking oh, to you here. Oh, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I really do appreciate it. You know, it. we hope that we got another 30 good years and we're still inspiring folks through the organization to get involved in conservation of Mule deer, yeah. black-tailed deer. The future I, is bright. Yeah, if I could say one thing to those out there who listen to your program, if you, if you are a hunter or just a non-hunter and you care about the future of deer and wildlife in general, join an organization that helps do what they say they'll do. This one does that. And I am so proud that we are that organization, the Mule Deer Foundation. Thank you. Thank you for your vision. Thanks for all you've done for mule deer conservation and, and getting the great start. Thank you. I'm Jody Stemmler. And I'm Steve Belinda. We are closing off for the night from the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. Thank you, Emmett. Until next time. Thank you. Thanks for talking mule deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talkin' Mule Deer.